0: You're listening to The Handmade CEO Podcast. My name is Maria Lauren, small business owner and creative entrepreneur. Each week we'll discover the steps and motivation that inspire our guests to create income from their skills. Get ready to start learning how to creatively pursue your dream job by crafting it yourself. Thank you for tuning in to episode 84. After finding herself in a dire situation and a broken marriage, today's guest decided to turn her fortune around by learning everything she could about finances. Along the way, she discovered her passion for helping couples through their financial woes. Stay tuned in until the end to hear Leanne's special offer. Hi Leanne, thank you for joining me today. Hi, how are you? Good, thank you. I'm so excited to talk finance. Could you give me a little background on what led you to financial therapy coaching?
1: It was a bad relationship that ended in divorce. Uh, I went through a lot of different kinds of abuse, emotional, just abuse in general. And one of the things that I kept hanging on for was that I thought I was financially stuck. And towards the end of the relationship, he actually left us because he said he he did finally get me convinced that I needed to quit my job. I quit. And then on Valentine's Day, two months later after I quit, he told me that I was lazy and I didn't want to work and all this stuff and said, I'm moving. And he moved and with no warning, three kids. And I still felt like I could not leave him because... I thought that I could not afford it financially, which at that time I couldn't. But that's kind of how I got started. I had that little light bulb moment. I said, I want to learn how to, I wanted to learn how to do finances, but then I also wanted to learn learn how to help people that were in similar situations get out of it. So that's what I did is I learned finances. And then I found financial therapy shortly after I earned my bachelor's degree.
0: How often would you suggest that somebody reviews their finances or how does somebody get started in making sure that they don't end up in a situation where they feel dependent on a spouse?
1: Those are two different aspects of it, I guess. It depends on where you're at financially. If you do have a lot of issues with money, say you're you're an overspender you you notice that you spend a little bit too much money on just items so i would say you definitely want to take a look at your actual budget which is a monthly thing look at all your spending every single month create a financial plan for six months. So every six months, while you're learning how to quit overspending or you're learning how to gain control of what's going on, every six months you want to create a, a financial plan that kind of takes a snapshot look as how you're progressing. If you're not having those kinds of problems, then I would say once a year would be excellent to do a snapshot, comprehensive plan to just make sure you're progressing in the right direction or make sure that you nothing in your life has come up that would change your course.
0: Okay. So it's a review of your spending that you, you're supposed to be doing. But I suppose admitting that you have a problem is probably <laughs> first and foremost, right?
1: Yes. Sometimes that's a little hard to do for people. It's it's no different than maybe alcoholism. Your whole family sees you have a problem or your neighbors or you know your coworkers see you have a problem, but you can't face that problem yet. So sometimes it's like that. Sometimes you're forced to face those problems because a spouse, for example, may say, I'm going to divorce you because you're spending all of our money. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're ready
0: to face those problems.
1: So there's a a couple stages that go into that before they're even ready for the planning and the action stage.
0: Yeah. Well, that seems like such a touchy subject when you have to bring it up to your spouse that maybe their spending is a little overboard, or even if you... If you yourself do the finances and you just realize, wow, I know why we have so much debt now (laughs) is if you can admit to your spouse that you're the overspender, I think, Both of those must be really difficult topics to approach your spouse with.
1: It is. Those are one of the more frequent reasons for divorce. And mostly it's because they're the same conversations that come up all the time. Other crucial conversations or arguments could be things like, oh, you didn't put the toilet seat down or something. And it's just kind of a quick, you didn't do this. Well, finances come up every single month and then these arguments come up every single month that go along with the finances when your spouse is overspending. So then it turns into contempt for each other. And when, when you get to the contempt stage, you're just not in that same level of appreciation and love for each other. So it is really hard. And that's, that's why I think it's so important to get behind that and get back to the real reason why you're with each other in the first place. And then let's work on this finance thing. Let's let's work on getting some overspending issues or even money hoarding issues under control is that that's the opposite of the overspending.
0: Yes. Yeah. You know, I, I've known some people like that, that they, they they like to save all of their money, but then they're allowed to spend it how they however they want. And then if the spouse wants to spend or buy something, then it becomes really um, an issue. So you're saying you actually go through and help people manage. Apart from finances, you also help with the relationship issues.
1: Yes. Because uh, while the finance may be what they're fighting about, that's not the core the core issue. Maybe there's value issues. Maybe one person does like to spend and one person does like to save. And there's a reason behind that. So what we got to do is we got to get behind both of those reasons and figure out maybe the person that spends money all the time. It could be because when they were younger, their parents may have liked another sibling over them. So they would spend all the money on the sibling. And then this the child or whatever creates the story in their head that, oh, well, I have to fend for myself. So I'm just going to buy whatever I want when I want. Well, that's not the same story that your spouse is, was learning when they were younger. It's so weird how the dynamic goes, because then you, gotta, you have to take these two stories and mesh them together. And sometimes that just doesn't work. So what I, I do is I decode these stories. I help them figure out what their emotions are behind these stories. Once they know themselves, then they can empathize and learn from
0: each other with that. Okay. That's amazing. You're going really, really far back then. I didn't realize that we were writing these stories, I guess, that far back. Oh, that's crazy. I'm trying to remember my childhood. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. How much do you think that credit cards play into this whole thing? Because I find that it's so easy to charge and subscribe to everything under the sun. And really it isn't until you take a look at your, maybe your monthly bill that you realize, wow, I have a lot of subscriptions or sometimes like say Amazon, it's so simple to just purchase and then your product comes the next day. So what's your approach with credit cards? Is there any tips that you, might have for how to curb that spending?
1: Credit cards are a little fickle. I like credit cards. I use credit cards. I use them. They. I try not to let them use me. And what I mean by that was, for example, I had a house fire back in January of 2019. I end up and we didn't, we weren't planned for it. So obviously, and I had to put basically my whole kitchen, redo on a credit card, and it was 20% interest or whatever it was. Well, I decided to get two different credit cards with 0% interest, and I transferred the balance to those two credit cards. Therefore, I'm not paying all that interest on the credit cards itself. It's just cash coming out, and I get it paid off before the promotional rate is over. So I use credit cards, but that's with a huge. But you have to watch it because if if you're not careful, you will get into like the Amazon trap. And I've done, I do this around Christmas. I'm like, oh, I like this thing, and I just click and buy. The credit right. card's attached to the the account, <laughs> so it's so you got you have to watch it. And if if you are not careful, you can overspend, and then they start using you. Exactly. Um, with that, the best thing I can say is to maybe limit yourself to how often you get on those apps that you like, like Amazon, try not to go on there and window shop or just try to find a way to get your card to quit linking. Like you have to put your card in and that's so hard because everything is automatic now. But yeah, what I do is I just stay off of those sites. If I don't need something, I don't get on, but for an overspender, that's a little bit hard because sometimes they use that as um, a reward system. And that's no different than if a person is overweight and they have a really good loss for the month, say they lost 10 pounds and they rewarded themselves with a piece of pie. So it's no different than that. If you think about it in the mental standpoint, find different reward systems. Um, Maybe go for a walk or spend a day at a girlfriend's house or whatever.
0: I think you're right about having to type in the credit card. I found that once my computer started storing all that information, it just seems so painless. You're almost not recognizing that you're doing all this spending. The other thing I noticed too is that I don't ever feel like I really need anything until I get that email with a discount or a sale or something that you have to buy only today, you know, and then all of a sudden I feel this urgency. So I I almost think that unsubscribing from all of those things is vital to making sure if you're an overspender that you're not going to continue to fall into the trap week after week.
1: Yes. And that's that's actually part of behavior economics and behavioral finances. They depend on people to do that. They okay. depend on people to get those those end end in one day or only one person can get this coaching program or they they depend on that. And they spend a lot of money on research and what gets people. So you're almost at a disadvantage. So the way that you can one up them or, you know, put it in your advantage is by taking that off of if you're getting too tempted, I would say just. Take them off of your email list. Email lists are still really useful as far as marketing goes. Mm-hmm. And, and it's really hard to not get on anything though and not see them. So anytime you have the opportunity to scroll past to say in Facebook or skip the ad in YouTube, it It is so much more beneficial, especially if you do have an overspending problem.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And do you think that there is a difference for, like, say, if you're online or watching TV late at night? Because- after hours, it just always seems like things are more appealing. Like it seems like you need everything that is being sold on TV on an infomercial after 10 o'clock at night. It just seems like all of it is important. And then the next day you're like, you know, did I really need that? So is there anything behind that? There is.
1: People are impulsive and they're at night, they get the kids down to bed, their spouse is calm and like they're doing their thing. And you're sitting there, or both of you guys are sitting there watching TV or flipping through Facebook or YouTube and then they're like they th- they think they are having time to process it properly and that's all that means is they're actually having more attention to the ad as opposed to if their kids are running around and they're trying to cook supper and you know all these other 100 million things are going on they have more of their focus and that's what happens and then they're like oh i didn't realize i needed that in my life and right. that's when they go to buy Ugh. I thought so. I feel so used.
0: <laughs> <laughs> They're smart. I mean, you yeah. have to give it to them. They, they create whole programs for this. For sure. <laughs> well, I've seen methods like paying off your smallest debt first, then paying off your next largest debt or the automatic method where everything is automatically paid for and your money's also going into a savings account. And of course, there's that the envelope method. So with the way that you coach, do you have a specific method of saving and budgeting or do you individualize it?
1: I individualize it per person, but all those methods that you just described are great. And I do use those to an extent depending on who the person is and what type of debt they have. But yes, I do individualize it to the person because you could, you could pay off the the smallest interest to the largest interest or the smallest bill, debt to the biggest bill, but then there's interest rate to kind of go in there and mess around with things. If your smallest debt has the highest interest, then you're not necessarily saving any money by paying that smallest debt one off first. And it it just really depends. I take a look and I analyze what would be the best approach. But also what I find is people like to see results fast. Mm -hmm. I I don't know if you've ever had this, like me, for example, I do fluctuate with weight every now and then. And I want to see that scale go fast fast at first because that motivates me. So I you know, if I lose I don't know 5 pounds in the first month or so as opposed to 1 pound, I'm going to be more motivated at that 5 pounds. For sure. So yeah. so that's what I kind of do is I I try to find a way that's going to keep my clients interested in still continuing to pay off their debt. And and that's how I do it as I find the biggest gains or the biggest wins. And sometimes it sometimes it's just emotional wins. Maybe maybe they'll just be happy if they have a car payment that they want to, see gone as opposed to their credit cards. Well, then we're gonna focus on getting that car payment paid off first, especially if it's only a couple thousand dollars as opposed to the beginning of the loan.
0: Right. I do think there's something to that where you if if that's just something that you're stuck on, you want to see, like you said, a car paid off or a student loan or something in particular paid off. I almost feel like then just go for it. I mean, if that's gonna keep you excited, you know, then go ahead and do it. Even if it doesn't make the most financial sense, I think it's still forward progress. So I love Love that idea, mm-hmm.
1: and and I'm not. I mean, I i guess to the eyes of the beholder i'm not concerned about the money they they're already wasting their money paying all this interest in the first place so it's already that's already a done thing so my goal is to get the get the emotions behind it that's what my goal is yeah we're going to be paying this debt off and you're going to be saving a boatload of money but i want to get to those emotions so if that's what makes you happy that's what we're going to do if if that's what makes you feel accomplished, accomplished that's what we're going to do it, to me i i'm not about the the ultimate fast way and i'm not i'm not going to promise that we're going to get you or you're going to pay off $180,000 worth of debt in 6 months that's that's not what i do
0: as you may already know i'm a huge fan of selling on etsy i've had over 10 years of selling my jewelry and digital cards there And to be honest, it is by far the easiest platform to navigate. It takes no time at all to list an item with a smartphone. And really, that's how I get most of my products in my shop. To make it easier for you to get started, I'm sharing a link in the show notes for you to open your shop with 40 free listings. That should motivate you to finally take that first step and get your shop online. If you're looking to finally open your store with absolutely nothing to lose, now is the time to try Etsy. Now back to the show.
1: What I do is I I look for the long-term effects. So while we're cleaning this stuff up, we're working on other things.
0: Yeah, that seems so important because a lot of times, like with weight loss, I had another coach on and she wasn't just a weight loss coach, but she taught other things. But her main focus was on changing the behavior so that you don't lose 5, 10, 15 pounds. And then next month, you just gain it all back. So there's a reason why you, you might have an eating issue. And so that's the whole purpose of, I think, like you're saying, is to get to the emotion as opposed to just the results. Otherwise, how many people do you see, you know, where they pay everything off? and then a year later they're back in debt again. I think that's got to be so painful.
1: Yes, and that's what that's why I feel bankruptcies aren't always the greatest option either. I mean, there's certain times where bankruptcy would be beneficial, mm-hmm. like uh, if you have a major accident or a major life-altering event where you have so much in hospital bills that you just can't live properly. Those right. that is a different circumstance. And I feel that that is a good reason for a bankruptcy. But if you're going for a bankruptcy because you overspent, then you're going to do it again. And you're going to do it again. And you, you know every 10 years, you're going to be in the line for bankruptcy because you never learned the motivation behind that spend.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And they did, they tried to create some programs to help with that. Like you have a, a credit program that you have to complete before and after bankruptcy to get a discharge. So they do have some programs that may help that, but it still doesn't get to the root cause of why you spent the way you spent.
0: Right. And I would imagine that if you're in that situation, you're probably just completing the course just to mark it off the list. its It wasn't like you actually thought, well, geez, I need to grow in this area. So I'm going to take a course on it. It was probably something that's almost forced upon you. Yep. Yeah. Which,
1: which brings me to the, if you don't quit spending, we'll get a divorce thing. They're not ready to do this, but they're being forced to.
0: Okay. Right. Well, that's got to be the hard, one of the hardest. So much else points to I don't want to say divorce, but it seems like there's a lot of reasons that people pile on and on and on and and build walls when they're upset with one another. And I imagine that finances is always the cherry on top.
1: It it definitely is the, um, it's the, the hot poker Mm -hmm. is what I'd like to think of it as. It's, yeah, you have all these things that may annoy you about your spouse. Like maybe they do, they don't put the toilet seat down all the time, but They may be aggravated at that. And then all of a sudden they start talking about finances and then they're like super, super aggravated because, oh, you know, he or she spent $50 at the store for, I don't know, something silly, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) then it's like, okay, I'm, I'm kind of annoyed at his or her behaviors, but this is super making me mad. So this is like, then he gets blown up. So yeah, it it definitely is the cherry, but it's also a hot poker (laughs) because yeah. There's opportunities 30 days out of the month, you have an opportunity to get mad at your spouse about Something that they may have spent money on, and right. then, it, then it starts turning into silly things. Like I went to the grocery store store and I bought too many groceries or something. You know, it gets really, it starts getting really convoluted in there.
0: Right. Well, when you when you're trying to devise a budget, it seems overwhelming to have to write down like every single thing that you bought. And is that an approach that people should be taking if they're an overspender? Because I imagine that it's kind of like when you keep a food log and there, and you're noticing like, oh wow, I didn't realize I went to the kitchen 10 times today. So is that something that people are supposed to be doing to try and stay on budget? Or is there a better method? Is it better just to say like, okay, I have a spending limit of $100 a week?
1: Actually, that's one of the the things of my service that I do provide. Because if you're overwhelmed, you do not have the brain capacity to think. Logically, if you are in the I'm so anxious, I'm in flight, fight or freeze moment because your anxiety levels are just too high. That's what I do. I'm just going to ask you for whatever credit card you use, your bank statements, and then I'm going to divide that all out. I'm going to go through it with a fine tooth comb. And I may ask questions like, okay, what what category should I put this in? But then I'm just going to go through it and get it set up for you. I'm going to try to, to help you with the relaxation and the breathing and learning how to get back into your thinking brain. But in the meantime, I'm going to do that big overwhelming chunk. And then i want to teach you how to do it in a manageable monthly or weekly manner. And the reason why is because you're going to get so overwhelmed thinking about having to create an actual budget as opposed to a guesstimated budget for example i had one person that i worked with and for the most part they did pretty good about what they they would normally spend especially on their regular bills but then when it came to their bills that kind of fluctuate like food and gas money and snacks and going out to eat they were all over the place this person thought that they spent maybe and it was a single person so maybe they thought they spent a couple hundred dollars a month on groceries. Come to find out they were spending six hundred dollars a month okay. on groceries. <laughs> that's okay. And difference. that's because they were like debit card, debit card, debit card. <laughs> so, oh. they they didn't want to see it. And, they, right. and they're not gonna be able to see that. They're gonna look at their their debit card balance every month and see that it's four and five pages, and they're gonna be like, uh-uh, I'm not touching that. So that's where I come in. I I clean it up. I'm like, dude, you just spent. Six hundred dollars, and I can tell you why. So they asked, and I told them it's because one, they were eating out too much. I could tell by their grocery bill that they were eating out too much, and two, every time they got gas or you know on their way back and forth from work, they would either do vending machines or they would go to the gas station and get spend like ten bucks. Mm. And it was like, okay, we're gonna teach you how to go buy a twelve pack of pop. Keep it in your car, <laughs> you know. Right, right. And yeah. that would easily have brought their bill down by almost half. And that's how much spending that they were not realizing that they were doing. And they're not gonna be able to see that because they're gonna be so overwhelmed by, oh my gosh, I seriously spent six hundred dollars on food, you
0: know. Yeah, it would almost make me wanna like skip doing that whole project. Like, I'm not gonna do this. <laughs> this is too embarrassing.
1: <laughs> well, and it is with my past relationship. Before I could really, really get in on board with the finances and what I was doing, I was like right before I finally was able to leave, I was in denial. I was complete like financial denial. I I didn't open up bills. I didn't open up bank accounts. I didn't answer phones. I, I didn't do anything. And that is because I was in freeze is what I yeah. was. I was yeah. totally stuck in my animal brain. I'm like, I can't do this. I, I had three kids. I was, I, I don't want to say I was forced to leave my job, but I was at that breaking point where it was either my job or my sanity. And when that happened, and then he left because he, and I had that job from the age of 17 until I was 20, like 25, it was wow. seven years or something. I had it for a long time and I just couldn't take it anymore. And then when I left, I was a lazy person person and all this other stuff. And I got that all in my head. I was worthless and useless and I couldn't do anything. And this all happened during the housing market crash. This was all in 2008. Oh. So, so oh coupled that, not being able to get a job... Him leaving because I can't get a job. Me and my kids are living in this really ice cold house because they. This is before that they started doing the programs where they don't shut you off during the winter time. Okay, we, we got our electric shut off, our heat shut off, we're getting our water shut off. We're like cold, you know, and it's just like I can't do it. I shut down. I was in my cocoon. I had my three kids. I end up deciding that being homeless was better than continuing in that relationship mm-hmm. but I was still shut down. I was in severe depression at that time and it was just a mess and and that's how and that's why I decided I was going to take that away from my clients they don't they don't need to deal with finance isn't their problem their problem is whatever's going on in their mind with each other because they don't know how to communicate so and if they're thinking like that there's no way that they're going to be able to think of their spouse.
0: Right. right.
1: So, so that's why I take that away. I'm I'm going to clean that up for you guys. I got you.
0: Well, I always viewed financial problems or not being able to keep a good budget. Yeah. I always viewed it as something that was just an overspending problem. I never thought of it as something that came along from past experiences or like you were mentioning earlier, how you were raised. So I love that you do that deep work because I'm sure that it probably helps not just in the financial aspect of life, but I'm sure it probably heals a whole whole lot of brokenness that's, you know, mm-hmm. been there for years.
1: It doesn't even only affect your your immediate family. It doesn't only affect your spouse, but it's going to affect how you communicate with people outside of your your bubble. Mm-hmm. Because if you learn how, okay, oh wow, this is how it makes me feel. I wonder how it makes the other person feel. Once you learn that empathy, once you learn that the world does not revolve around you, then you can go out in the world and make it a better place for, you know, everybody. That's the goal.
0: So who do you think is the ideal candidate to hire a financial coach?
1: Well, I am a, I'm a financial life planner is what I do. I combine coaching with a financial plan and I, I throw, I sprinkle a little bit of my financial therapy in there when it's necessary. Okay. But who I take care of are, my clients are going to be couples obviously they're going to be on the brink of divorce. They're, they're so fed up with their situation. They're not satisfied. Nothing that goes on in this relationship satisfies them. And sometimes it could be because they think it's a money problem. So what I want to do is I want to learn how they think. And that's, that's what we do is those couples that are just not satisfied and they really are thinking about divorce. And that's where I come in. I get them that that information that they need to, to learn about themselves so they can make that decision properly instead of saying, I want a divorce instead of working through it. Now, after working through all that, they want a divorce, I can help with that too. And I can I can help mediate that on through.
0: Can you explain your, a little bit more about all your services? Because you were mentioning sometimes you'll, you know, sprinkle in a little bit of this. So just so we have a roundabout idea of what people could hire you for.
1: I mostly offer like one main package. If I help them with that, I do follow up financial planning, but the main package is this financial life planning package. And what that will include is the getting to know yourself and your spouse that takes about a month to do. And it's coaching. It's weekly. You get weekly uh, private one-on-one coaching. And then once we do that, we move on to the goals of each one individual and then put them together. And then the third month is more, it's more the paperwork. That's where I start creating the plan and we get together so I can ask questions to make those plans. So it takes about three months or so for the whole plan. And it does, it revolves around getting you and your spouse back on track, speaking with each other and with through relationship coaching type aspects and also financial therapy if we need to. If we start learning more about each other and I see that there may be an overspending issue or there might be a miser or hoarding issue of money or a gambling issue, then we start talking about how those things came about. So that's that's where I kind of sprinkle it in. And I sprinkle that throughout if we need to. And if I need to, I will add extra coaching sessions on to get okay. through that.
0: And in general, what does a coaching session look like?
1: I do try to meet once a week with the clients. Each week we'll go through things that... That They learned about themselves throughout the past week. If there's any homework, we'll go through the homework that I was given. I have a ton of personality tests or questionnaires, or there's things called money scripts. Those are the stories that we were talking about earlier. It allows you to learn what your money scripts are. If you're a money avoider or a money worshiper or, or you know, stuff like that. I learn about money behavior. So we do all these little, these little tests and questionnaires and stuff so we can learn about ourselves. And then we talk, we do a little bit of group talk and that way they can get things off their chest in an environment where I can help mediate a little bit. And they can, you know, talks amongst themselves and then we'll just keep progressing like that. I'm going to be creating a secret group for my clients. That way they have lifetime access to questions to other group members that ask questions that they may want to ask so I'll have that starting at the beginning of the year as well.
0: Great. Well, where should someone start if they're looking to hire you? Do they need to gather up statements, financials, or do you have a checklist that you require?
1: I am a financial planner, so I do have a very comprehensive checklist of, it's about 10 pages, I think, of different financial items that they'll need or at least be able to get ballpark figures up. Okay. So that's part of the onboarding process.
0: Okay, great. What's the best way to connect with you?
1: Mostly, I have been on Facebook. I do have a Facebook page right now. My Facebook page is Living Lucrum with Leanne. My website, it's uh, livinglucrum.com.
0: Okay, perfect. Well, thank you, Leanne, for sharing your time and your knowledge with us.
1: Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Well, there you have it, my friend. Another inspirational CEO sharing her knowledge with the world. I find it fascinating that our spending habits can be traced back to our childhood experiences with money. It's easy to see how two people with entirely different life experiences could clash when it comes to finances. Leanne is offering one free vision session that focuses on getting clear on your intentions and even finding what's blocking you from reaching your goals. Visit the show notes to connect with Leanne and to take advantage of her special offer. I'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to the Handmade CEO Podcast. Don't forget to check the show notes to get a glimpse of today's featured guest and special offers. If you love the show, leave a review and share this episode with a friend. Thanks for tuning in. Now it's your turn to start handcrafting your dream job.